Good morning, everybody. We are here today to talk about the RHYME framework, which some of you may be familiar with and some of you may not. And I'm here with a friend and a colleague, Lynn Byers, and she is a listener of the podcast. And as she was listening, given her experience and her wealth of knowledge in the world of faculty development felt that she had a lot to add to our conversation that we are already having about the RHYME framework. And so I invited her to come on the podcast. She doesn't, she's not real excited about being on a podcast, but we're going to work through it. (laughs) It's going to be great. So before we even get started on the RHYME framework, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into faculty development, and how you came to know and love this framework so well. All right. Um, well, I'm a general internist, so a little bit of a fish out of water on an emergency medicine podcast, but <laughs> I trained at Uniformed Services University and was there as a clerkship site director under Lou Pangaro, who was the creator and, and initial author of the RHYME framework. So basically, I had no choice but to become an expert at this. Um, but but it really makes a lot of sense. Well, I think the thing that was so interesting to me, and I had very little familiarity, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I had very little familiarity with the RHYME framework, but when we started to really talk about it, it started to put all of the conversations we were having in our department on a framework. And you had felt like that was what we were really missing in the conversation. And so you've been using it for a long time, mm-hmm. and you've been teaching it for a long time, and maybe it's putting the cart before the horse to kind of talk about it before we've introduced it, but um, what is the value of it to you? Uh, well, so learning the RHYME framework and using the RHYME framework was really how I got into doing faculty development. Um, it is an important step for teachers that work with learners of all levels to um, be able to understand what they're seeing. When I was doing the clerkship site director work and having to get the evaluations of all of the medical students, I was interacting with the faculty and listening to how they were describing things. And and then being able to coach them onto this framework really helped them understand what they were seeing and therefore be better at telling me what they um, felt about the student instead of feeling like they just needed to put them somewhere on a grading schema you know, of A to F. So even though this was the you were working at the place where this was developed, you still found a lot of your faculty, who, particularly in the med student realm, were not using it at that time. Uh, well, certainly people had um, varying degrees of knowledge about it and varying degrees of comfort in using it. So it was definitely you know, something that needed to be practiced a lot. And this was in the military setting, so even though it was kind of the home of where it was um, developed, you know, the military way is to um, churn people around every two to three right. years, and so there was constantly new new teachers um, coming in. And then, you know, when we had medical students rotating on an inpatient service, they were also working with house staff, and the house staff mm. definitely were new every time around and needed to know uh, a little bit about how to how to teach. That's awesome. So I think that gives us all a lot of hope that we can <laughs> improve our ability. Lynn has done it before. So we give this presentation now for the institution. Our goal is to get every uh, frontline faculty, so cl- you know, clinical educator faculty member through a workshop that we have developed about, around RHYME. 
And we, both of us, see a lot of feedback. And I, in particular, as the program director, see a ton of feedback and don't always know what that means for an individual. And so I think most of you can relate to the piece of feedback that you either write or that uh, as someone in a position to evaluate that you receive from your faculty or from your residents that say, you know, they're pleasant to work with, they were a hard worker, they're progressing well, and they're at their expected level of training which actually seems pretty specific. It's, it seems at the surface better than good job, keep reading. Uh, but when you really dig into it and you start to think about milestones and progression and competencies, you realize there's really not a whole lot there. And you, it's really hard to do anything with that. And so I would, before we even start the rhyme framework, I would almost encourage everybody to hit pause, go find the most recent evaluation that they wrote, pull it up or jot it down on a piece of paper, and maybe it looks just like that, and that's okay, um, just so you have a framework for what you generally write, and you can kind of see how it compares to what we're about to present. Yeah, sure. So one thing I would say about that comment is really the only information it gives you is that that learner is professional, and you have no idea about anything else they know, but at least you do know that they're professional, which is why good job, keep reading, doesn't even give you that. Yeah. of detail. So it feels better than that because you've at least heard about professionalism. Yeah. And I think the thing that you said that is becoming so important for me is that we're getting, you know, we have, and you guys have heard this before, we have 70 faculty, we have 62 residents. And even though we're all um, working with the residents, the vast majority of our shifts, because there's so many of us and so many of them, I may not work with a resident for six or seven months before I see them again. And so while we're getting tons of information and, and uh, wonderful coaching on our residents that comes into our office, I don't always, because we don't have a shared mental model of the framework that we are attaching to each of those residents and each of those skill sets, uh, it's often very difficult to really know what to do with the information coming in. And we do the best that we can do. I think we all do, but it's tremendously helpful when we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that statement about expected stage of training, the expected stage of training, is difficult if you and I don't have the same understanding of what is expected at this stage yeah. or even what stage are they. Yeah, and I see that 100% uh, in what I'm currently doing. So we're going to start to kind of talk about what the rhyme framework actually is. So you know this far better than I do. So I'm going to let you kind of uh, describe it a little bit and then I'll comment. <laughs> oh, that's helpful. Thank you. All right, so RIME Framework is R-I-M-E, um, and it stands for Reporter, Interpreter, Manager, and Educator. Dr. Pangaro originally kind of set this up looking at uh, how physicians develop from medical student through resident and into um, practicing physician. It's synthetic in that you are doing each stage, and you have to do the stage before, before you can master the next one, but you don't ever stop doing the one that you've finished. So instead of being purely developmental where you stop doing something once you've mastered it, um, you have to do all of them all the time. And as you hear us talk about it a little bit more, you're going to recognize that you do this in every patient interaction that you are involved in. And so what you kind of mean is, like, you are, even if you master being a reporter, you still, even as seasoned attendings, <laughs> we're seasoned attendings, uh, even as experienced attendings, uh, we still have to master or perform the reporter stage in order to move on to the next stages. Absolutely. Yeah. 
every single time. So a reporter is somebody that can gather a full data set. Um, so this is uh, getting the history of present illness, all of the kind of supporting background medical history, knowing what medications they're on. And at the medical student level, it's also being able to demonstrate some understanding of the pathophysiology of those problems. And so this is probably still relevant at the intern and, and resident level. Nobody asks us anymore if we understand the pathophysiology. We just feel this intense feeling of shame and we're like, I have no idea what's going on right now. But, but that has to be there. And so you might, when you're trying to assess somebody's reporting ability, check on their understanding of you know what's going on in heart failure so that they can tell you why their plan makes sense or does not make sense. I always think of the reporter as being uh, the medical student that feedback that I get that says I could trust their histories and physicals. Like that is probably somebody who in a uncomplicated patient uh, is a reliable reporter. So they can gather all the information um, and they're literally just reporting on the information. They're gathering it and they're spitting it back out to you and it hopefully is organized maybe is not, but at least it's all there. Do you think that's accurate? Sure. So having the full data set is the reporter's job. And certainly our bar for what acceptable reporting looks like in a medical student is very different than what it looks like for an Mm -hmm. intern and is different still for what is a reporter as a attending attending look like. So our expectation of how well you report would change over time, but it is purely that. Can you go in and interview somebody? Do you know what you're asking for? Can you come out with all of the information you need for making a decision about that patient? And some of that has to do with their their interpersonal skills. If you're Mm -hmm. uh, rushed and rude and um, not picking up on body language, you're missing out on potentially really important history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, and I've seen people do, and we talk about this a little bit, but I've seen somebody be a really good reporter with our fairly straightforward, fairly well differentiated patients, but you give a more junior person a, a much more challenging patient, a much more complicated, a much more difficult historian, and suddenly their reporting skills seem to falter. And so one of the things that we always talk about is, is when you write these comments down, and we're going to have a separate podcast about that, but it's so important to know the context in which you said somebody was a reliable or unreliable reporter because I watched a shift with one resident where in 90% of the time with uncomplicated patients, a completely reliable reporter, and then struggled with the more complicated patient. And that is important for us to know and for the learner to know that like 90% of the time you've got this, but this is a new skill set you're moving into with more complicated patient. So we're kind of reverting back and having a difficult time with the step one. Right, exactly. And so, you know, talking about that person as a reliable reporter takes into account, you know, are they about to graduate? Well, then you've got a big problem. Are they uh, a third year clerkship student that's here on a rotation? they're probably doing a pretty good job if they can Mm -hmm. even attempt that. So we really talk about reliable reporting for core problems within your discipline and unfortunately emergency medicine everything's your discipline so um, definitely a bigger breadth of problems that you need to be able to take a full history from yeah and we also talk that sometimes there you know and this gets into illness scripts and whatnot but there are going to be things like a, a low-risk chest pain patient that we see a million times that hopefully, you know, by the end of intern year, you've seen enough low-risk chest pain that you are a very reliable, reliable reporter with that 
core of discipline, but maybe something you've never seen before, uh, complicated or not complicated, you may really struggle with. And that's when I feel like faculty a lot of times will say, they didn't even, can you believe they didn't even know X? And you think to yourself, well, yeah, I, I can, because maybe they've never seen it before. So giving the learner a little bit of slack in that arena, I think is helpful. Not slack, but um, understanding of where they're coming from and what they've seen is helpful. Right, so the context that you made that observation in is hugely important. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on the reporter thing, or you feel like we've, no. feel like people understand the reporter? I think so. All right, so the next um, level, so we did reporter, so now we're in the I in rhyme, which is the interpreter. Um, so the re interpreter, and this is where you can see that you can't skip a step, right? The interpreter takes all of that information that you gather during the reporting stage and starts to make sense out of it. So they can prioritize that information and then make judgments about what that means. And this is where a prioritized differential diagnosis comes in or th you know, just simply thinking about how do these abnormalities play into the other abnormalities I found. So having uh, hypotension and abdominal pain changes your differential, then it's hypotension and vomiting. Mm -hmm. And this is really, to me, you know, when, when we talk to medical students and they can give you just this laundry list of differential diagnoses and they're very good at doing that. But that, that next step is prioritizing those differentials and really trying to figure out what 100% need to rule out and what you're most concerned or what you actually think it is based on the entire picture. When you're thinking about medical students, that definitely feels like an advanced skill set for them. And some of them are moving into that realm. Um, but this, this to me is where our interns kind of live. Like uh -huh. they are sometimes they nail this and sometimes they struggle with this because they're learning, they're seeing more patients and uh, they're dealing with all of us that have different practice patterns and uh, we all assign different priorities to differentials. You know, you and I would do it differently. Uh, so I'm sure my faculty do as well. And so they're kind of learning all that, but this is kind of the world that they're living in. Yeah, and when Dr. Pangaro talks about medical students as interpreters, he talks about them being reasonable. Mm -hmm. So if you have chest pain in somebody that just flew home from something, then you shouldn't lead the differential with costochondritis and GERD. Mm -hmm. But they don't have to have an exact right differential diagnosis. It doesn't necessarily have to be as sophisticated as yours would be. It just have to be things that are in the ballpark. But by the time you're a finishing intern or, uh, or later in your training, it better be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like to, we talk about this as kind of when you move as the learner from being the bystander in the patient's care to really starting to actively manage and understand that patient. So again, you're no longer, I mean, I know this makes sense, but like you're no longer the reporter. You're really starting to interpret the data. You're taking ownership over the data and that patient and trying to make decisions and priorities out of that. I think that's a really important step for some people to take. And you watch our residents who then go into like a critical care area where they very rarely work, particularly as interns or a brand new second year who hasn't had a ton of experience in that arena, they might look like the bystander because they really don't know what to do. So they're going to look like the reporter and maybe not the interpreter and kind of coaching them into that interpreter place would be really important. Mm -hmm. and, and they probably can interpret in that setting if they were, they were able to hit a pause button, if mm. they were able to stop letting that case unfold and stop and, and be critical thinkers about it. But the nature of your job is there's no pause button until the job's done. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. 
So is there anything else with the interpreter? Um, well, I think one of the things to think about with the interpreter is that they're able to answer why questions. So they're able to say why they think these things are going on. And that's the differential diagnosis. And you're, you're really um, able to assess their critical thinking and mm -hmm. reasoning skills mm -hmm. at this stage. So the reporter, and I don't know that we said it, the reporter is kind of the what Correct. what is going on just reporting out the facts the interpreter is the why are these things going on and then we'll move to the manager which is the how correct you got it good <laughs> it's taken me a while <laughs> so let's talk about the manager which is the m in rhyme so we're moving right along we're progressing developmentally you and i here in this conversation so let's talk about the manager so the manager is going to be able to tell you um, how, the, again, the how questions, at how they want to uh, work up the problem and, um, and make a final diagnosis or, and or how they want to manage the patient. And the early manager is simply going to be able to say, this is what we do for this problem. The more advanced manager is going to be able to say, well, these are the breadth of options and I laid these out to the patient and in shared decision making, we decided on this, right? Mm -hmm. And so taking the patient's point of view in that plan while still keeping it a reasonable plan. So somebody that just says, well, my patient wants an MRI, so I'm going to get the MRI is not a reasonable manager mm -hmm. um, they're taking dictation mm -hmm. um, but a reasonable manager says well we could do this or we could do that and I talked to the patient about the pros and cons of both of them and we arrived at this decision that's a really pretty advanced manager in our system the way our residency is is uh, set up these managers this is where I see our second years like they're you know and sometimes you're gonna have an intern that can manage uh, a simple problem, no problem, um, or a simple pathology, no problem. Uh, but I really think that this is the realm that we have our second years in is starting to play in this manager role. And certainly our third years are really honing this and becoming sophisticated managers. Sure. And, and you can, might be able to manage one patient at a time, but can you manage two or three? Can you manage flipping back and forth between them? And so you may have an intern who can manage one patient, right? And mm -hmm. do it really well, but would fall apart if you gave them three. Again, this is why the context of your comments and your narrative is so important because you could be in our critical care area where literally, you know, chicken little, the sky is literally falling, or you could be on a very slow day where you're not seeing that many people. That's a very different case for those residents and those learners, um, and it's important for us to kind of know that we, lo we lose a lot of that when mm -hmm. we get the comments back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else on the manager? So this is the why again. Why is this no, good? No, this is the how. I can't get it how. right. This is the how. I get those two messed up every time. I'm going to work on it. Can we listen to your podcast? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it. I'm going to keep listening to my own podcast. Okay, so then we're going to move on to the educator, which is the last stage of rhyme, uh, which is the E in rhyme. So what does the educator do? Um, so this is somebody who is taking responsibility for their learning, um, and there's a lot of where you're going to see leadership skills as well. So this would be somebody who says, here is my patient. What does the evidence say for what I should do about this? This is somebody that recognizes for themselves that they had a deficiency um, and want to be better next time. And so they'll come in and they'll say, you know, remember that patient? Well, I went home and I read this article, and it seems like maybe we are not practicing at the, at the current level of evidence for mm. these reasons. Um, so they will educate themselves. They will educate the team that's around them. But they also take responsibility for educating the patient. Believe it or not, we do teach our patients things, whether 
people remember what we teach. I don't like, know. Don't but. come back for this ever again. No. <laughs> no. We're here 24 hours a day for a reason. Come back anytime you want. Uh, but yeah, this is, to me, educationally, this is the people, um, these are the people that you're almost not paying attention to anymore because they're your they're your senior residents they're performing exactly how you think they should be performing and so this is the comment these are the people that we get you know doing great ready to graduate right sure so because they are doing great and they are ready to graduate but you would want them to be sure that they are taking ownership of their uh, own education so that they are continuing lifelong learning once they get out of residency. And these are the skills of leading a team when they go on to a different setting and they're no longer there with all of their mentors around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so when I think of our third year is that at this point in the year are really almost ready to graduate and we feel that we have nothing left to teach them. These are the areas that we want to start to focus on. Like, mm -hmm. you know, are they participating in lifelong learning? Are they looking things up and, and looking at the evidence and really educating them, really taking ownership for the entire thing from soup to nuts? And so when you think you have nothing left to teach, this is the realm that you want to live in mm -hmm. with them, you know, and how well are they teaching their team, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. I think as faculty, we think evaluation is something that we're doing to learners, that we are, and we talk about this, like that you are grading somebody, that you as the faculty on a shift, working with a resident or a medical student or any learner, your job is to give them a grade. Like you are doing where you, what you're supposed to be doing, you're not at the expected level, and I think that's what we get a lot, but that should not be your role. Your role is really to observe and describe their skill set for somebody else your leadership, your whoever it may be, to make those decisions about evaluation based on your observational and descriptive analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and when you have the words to describe what you're seeing, it becomes a lot easier than falling back on this was passable, this was not passable. And being able to describe that they had the full data set, but they just didn't really know what to do with it. That's meaningful for you, it's meaningful for the feedback to the resident, and it still gives the program information about are they passing or not, but, but the program has other information about what is expected of them. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I think that's the whole RHYME framework. Is there anything else to talk about in that realm? Probably, but I'm not thinking of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a million podcasts on the RHYME framework, but I think that's it. I mean, in the interest of, you know, keeping it short and, and digestible, that's it. It's um, reporter, interpreter, manager, and educator. And as I say, almost every single time we re record a podcast, you have to start thinking and trying. This isn't something you're going to hit out of the park the first time through. You have to start, you know, listening to residents present to you and try and start to attach them onto this framework. And I personally found it really useful that when I start to write my feedback, and we're going to do a, another podcast on the how you actually write down kind of in the framework for people um, but I think that it's a really useful thing to start trying with and playing with and talking to each other about how they interpret things and and how other faculty members uh, are attaching people onto the frameworks sounds good that sounds good all right well thanks Lynn for coming in I know that you are not like the biggest podcast person but congratulations your first podcast is in the books why thank you Jenna